Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Two years ago, at age 48, Scott Weiland died. It was December 2015. Recently, I found some audio from a pretty interesting conversation I had with him back in 2007. I was reporting a sort of dual cover story. On the cover, it was the anniversary of Appetite for Destruction, and inside we had a story about that. And then, because I was interviewing a lot of the remaining members of Guns N' Roses, we also did a story on the new Velvet Revolver album, which was called Libertad and turned out to be the final Velvet Revolver album. I spent time with all the guys in that band, and that included Scott Weiland. And Weiland was in a really interesting place. He seemed or told me he was sober and was really friendly, open, and sometimes incredibly dark in these interviews. Um, looking back, listening to them, I was really impressed with him. And a lot of it is pretty chilling in light of his death. He talks a lot about his own drug use. He talks about his brother's fatal drug overdose and how he wouldn't want to be like him. He talks a lot about the future and what it'll be like to be an older rock star. And it kind of uh, sent chills down my body. It's intense stuff. But I think it's also worth hearing. And I also think it's a really, for once, it was Scott really presenting himself really well. I think you get a really good sense of him as a person. And he actually is really likable. Although I did witness some interesting Scott Weiland behavior during the reporting of this story, including making the entire rest of Velvet Revolver wait for him for a full hour while he finished the Clint Eastwood movie Unforgiven in his dressing room. So that was some Weiland behavior. I think he also was like six or seven hours late to his interview with me. But once he was there, super charming. Anyway, here is me and Scott Weiland in the middle of 2007. I love that country thing at the end of the record. Oh, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? It was just, uh, we did this shot, um, shoot with uh, Jim Marshall yeah. uh, at the Roxy. And um, so we're just kind of, we also, we brought some um, acoustic guitars along with us. Um, and we sat up on the drum riser, started sort of noodling around, and uh, just kind of came up with that don't drop that dime Right. It's just kind of like a, a little uh, phrase and sort of vamped on it. And uh, it's one of those tunes where, um, you know, the chorus is just, it's the same riff as the verse, you know. And um, you're kind of saying it over and over, all, right. all this kind of harmony. And, uh, and um, no, it's, it's one of those cool kind of uh, little ditties. I like those kind of things. Sort of lighten the, the mood of a... A record, you know. It sounds on the record like super authentic. It sounds like one of the Birds country albums. Or yeah, I love uh, Graham Parsons. He's uh, he's great. He's kind of one of my favorite sort of icons. You ever want to do some stuff that's more country? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was my first uh, you know genre of music that I fell in love with because my uh, my father, my my blood father, um, was. Uh, you know, well, still has a huge country music fan, you know. Um, uh, you know, Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash and, uh, uh, you know, just the, the real stuff. So in the 70s, when I'd spend the summers with him, I'd fly out from Cleveland. Um, you know, he had eight-track tapes. And I remember we'd go out uh, camping and drive from um, from the Bay Area up to Northern California and listen to Jerry Jeff Walker and, you know, that stuff and uh, and kind of fell in love with it as a kid. Um, so 
you know, there's been some songs throughout my career that have kind of <clears throat> had little tinges of that, yeah. uh, you know, in, with STP. Like, even even Creep hmm. uh, had sort of that country kind of feeling. It was definitely uh, in a moody sort of way, but... Uh, I know what you mean on the chorus, maybe. In the, yeah, on the forward uh, yesterday makes me want to stay. Right. What you say is real makes me want to stay. Living on the house, guessing living on a mouse. Um, take time with a wounded hand, cause I like to steal. Um, and then on my uh, next solo record, there's uh, this song that I wrote about um, my uh, my dad because um, we kind of uh, lost um, touch uh, mm. since um, uh, really from high school on until just in the last uh, couple of years called "The Man I Didn't Know," which is um, definitely a, uh, a sort of haunting. Um, Daniel Lenoir esque kind of country yeah. tune. I saw that. I saw the show actually. I really did. I saw it at that when uh, when Lenoir played with you. I didn't really saw the show. I remember that. that was, so I was like, wow, he got him in the band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There were some great shows, and there were some shows where uh, uh, I think I was on another dimension. And uh, um, but there there were there were definitely a few that were pretty pretty fucking cool. Then there were a few where I. I had to exit the stage and vomit in behind the amps. Mine was Jones Beach, which I think probably was the day before. Uh, oh, before the, yeah. yeah, that was not the the, yeah. the the radio shows were were not the uh, were not the the greatest uh, venues to to see that band though. You yeah, know? it yeah, was yeah. not the greatest sort of. You know, we had ju this was a new band. You right, know, it, right. just sort of coming together and sort of feeling itself out like. You know, I think uh, a couple of our best shows were at places like the 930 Club and places like that. Yeah. How distant does all that stuff feel to you? It feels like a whole life away, yeah. actually. Um, it's weird, you know. Um, you know, I, I have, uh, you know, my kids and um, and when I go on tour now, I live for that, that mo those moments on stage um, when, uh, you know, I get completely release everything and and uh sort of escape from what my my entire life is about uh but the rest of the time for the most part um it's real difficult to be away from my kids you know yeah. and and uh and my wife um before when i was uh you know um sort of trapped in that mode all i was doing really was i was running from um the responsibilities of just uh of, of being a father and being a husband and uh, and that's really what I wanted the most was was to you know be um, to finally be a man but it was so hard to to sort of take that step you know um, Why was to not? begin that, uh, that 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 journey um, you know I, I don't I don't know uh, I, it was like uh, and I said this before but I felt like I was trapped in this eternal Peter Pan complex, you know, and, uh, and I really kind of think that, that, you know, being in a, in a band, um, especially once you become, 
uh, you know, a, a celebrity or whatever, uh, that it sort of uh, enables you to, to stay in that mode, sure. yeah. you know, um, not to accept responsibility for your actions and that. And, uh, and if you're making money, um, it's, uh, um, you know, for other people, it, uh, you know, why not? You know, I mean, right. rock stars are, you know, expected to, to, you know, fuck up in that. And, um, which is cool, you know, it's, uh, there's certain parts that I don't regret anything really I did except for, except for the, uh, emotional injury that I caused other people. You know, yeah. it's, uh, I mean, that really came crashing through when, when my brother died. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing the reality and the finality of, of it all. Um, and then, uh, and how crushed, uh, you know, crushed I was and how crushed my, my mother and my father were. Um, because, uh, you know, it's a, they, they had to deal with that on a, <clears throat> on a daily basis. So, you know, just the fear of, uh, of, you know, the potential fear of, of, uh, of that happening to either one of us, um, for years, you know, and, and my wife as well, you know, um, thinking that at any time that could, you know, happen to the father of, um, you know, of, of children, you know, but when that happened to my brother, it was, uh, it all seemed horrifically real. Hmm. Like it could have been, yeah. Um, well, yeah, you know, you know, I, I always got kind of seen it. I always kind of felt that I was, um, unbreakable, you know, um, like I was a cockroach or something, you know, that, uh, that I just, I could, you know, outlive a, an atomic bomb. Um, but, uh, you know, when I went, when I got the call that, that a friend of my brother's had found him, um, dead, uh, and then I had to come over there because the police were there and I saw him lying on his bed, uh, it, Jesus, it, um, I had to identify his body at, uh, you know, and he had gone through, you know, and lived through as many, uh, you know, the same sort of situations that I had. Um, you know, he'd gone through ODs, lived through ODs, uh, you know, been busted and made it through. Numerous arrests without going to prison, and um, and you know there it was. It was final. So uh, you know you can't get any more real than that. You know. We hung together always. Um, you know before we started using, then while we were using, and then um, for the last like four years, once uh, you know I kind of um, started getting clean. Um, and he started struggling, you know, I kind of distanced myself. And, uh, you know, he really tried to hang with me, but uh, I, I had a hard time understanding why uh, he, and it sounds judgmental, but um, with everything he was facing, um, you know, legally and the divorce with his wife that she was going through, which was the same situation that I was in at the time when I ended up kicking drugs, um, why he couldn't kind of get it together so it put a wedge between us um you know the last month before he died we ended up uh fixing our relationship and hanging out again he was with uh me all through christmas time and then um you know and since then uh you know 
which was always kind of his wish. Is like, you know, why can't our kids be closer? And now they now they have and have set up a trust um, for them and uh, done a, a benefit them and, and tend to to do more as they, uh, you know, they're not quite on the same, quite as fortunate, you know, and uh, right. do everything I can to help them, you know, the education and whatever I can do. Um, yeah, it's probably the, uh, definitely the heaviest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I mean, I, I've never, besides my, my grandmother dying, um, you know, just she lived a full life. I've never lost anyone close to me before. So you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt, and that's me and the late Scott Weiland talking in the year 2007. We'll be right back with a lot more from that conversation. We've been playing some unearthed 2007 audio from my conversation with Scott Weiland just before the release of what turned out to be the final Velvet Revolver album, Libertad. And it's a pretty interesting conversation. Here's more from it. You said that you, you can't uh, really imagine doing this in a few more years. Is that, is that really how you feel, that, that you're kind of done with the whole stage rocking, touring thing at this point? Well, what I can't imagine doing is, um, I can't imagine doing what, uh, you know, Steven Tyler does or uh, Mick Jagger does or, uh, you know, I can't imagine being in my... In my 40s and um you know shaking my ass on stage and and uh you know trying to pretend like i'm something that i'm not anymore you know i feel like that part of this uh <clears throat> rock and roll journey is nearing its end and uh it's uh coming time uh for the next phase i'll always make records because that's what this is about for me it's writing songs and making records it's uh that's what i get off on the most you know i mean that's where the art is so my studio which i've had for nine years is is a place that i it's i mean i would do it if i didn't make money you know it would be it would be a hobby right you know uh but i go there and i i i write and i record songs and i experiment and and i would love to just uh, be able to be in that place where I could write the kind of music that I want to write without having to worry about uh, selling three, four million records and um, right. recouping um, right. and all that, you know. And and I'd, I'd love to be able to tour without having to worry about uh, filling arenas and um, sheds and and that, you know. Um, it's been 17 years now of, of that, and it, that kind of wears on you, you yeah. know? It, uh, it's a lot of stress, and um, I would just like to make music and uh, put out records and um, tour when I'd like to tour, and if I, you know, play theaters and, you know, do, you know, in certain cities, uh, do, you know, two, three, four nights or something, you know, uh, if that was what happened and uh, that's, you know, kind of how I see things, you know, and uh, so why are you still doing this now? Um, you know why? Because right now it's still fun. Right now it's still fun. There's still this thing 
that uh, I get out of um, that uh, gang-like camaraderie, um, that dysfunctional camaraderie of being in a rock and roll band. Uh, um, you know, knowing that anything can happen at any time, I guess. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of stress, um, you know, but uh, it's definitely not for the, the weak-hearted, you know. Um, but it's also a young man's game, too, you know. Um, the problem is, is that not many people can do it for a career. You know, there's, I don't think it's made, I don't think that, uh, unfortunately, I don't think rock and roll is, um, is a career sport any longer. Mm. Uh, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, the, the, the last band that is, has come out that, uh, in the last few years that seems to be, to really have a, a career that comes to mind is um, the White Stripes, really. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. it seems to be on the path of having uh, some sort of legendary status at right. some point. <clears throat> Most like I was looking on the wall in your studio, and you have you know a six, a, a plaque with six platinum records. Nobody really, <laughs> nobody right. gets a plaque with six platinum records anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that's kind of impossible yeah. in the information age. You know what I mean? Um, kids download records these days, and you know, I, I mean, it's understandable. It's a lot easier. Yeah, you know, it it takes effort to go down to the record store. You know, and it's so much easier because everyone has a fucking computer. It's. I mean, I was really, I was really pissed off about it when it all started happening. Um, and I felt betrayed, and, and uh, people stealing music, and uh, but it just it makes so much sense, you know. Um, it's you can't really fight uh, something that just is. The song "Respect" on the on the record. Is that about Axl Rose? No, no, not at all. No, I, I'm definitely not. It's uh, it's really about um, the uh, it's really about a combination of um, the this current sort of youth generation and the uh, their idols um, uh, the celebrities um and uh, the media and its uh, infatuation with uh celebrity like um, well i mean just uh, all of them all rolled into one really um and uh you know it's like where does the problem lie is it uh does it lie in uh, the media sensationalism or does it lie in 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 the the public's appetite for it, you know, and uh, so the whole idea was, you know, just fucking spay them all, you know, um, so they don't just fucking proliferate the entire world any longer, you know. So when you, um, 
he posted that thing on the website of uh, calling out that dude, uh, you fat Botox, uh, whatever. Fuck, I mean... <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the reason why that happened was he... he uh, and I forget how the whole thing came about, but he had... He had that lawsuit uh, where he... Well, he had said some things about me um, first, and, you know, it was... Uh, you know, I, if I was... Uh, I probably should have been more gracious and just <laughs> left it alone, but... Um, uh, I retaliated, and, and it, um, I guess, got out of hand, and um, and I actually ended up hearing because Matt ran into him at a club he, that he, uh, his, Matt said his his feelings were hurt by what I said, and I, <laughs> then I felt really bad. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah probably the fat thing, it's a bummer. Um, yeah. Huh. Do you, I mean, you know, not physically, but do you see any of yourself in, in that guy? I mean, he's all, he's all... Well, you know what I, you know what I do see is, uh, the, um, the inability to maybe control my, my temper at times, you know, I've, I've been known to sort of go on, uh, rampages, uh, uh on, uh, um... On stage, uh, if if something sets me off, I I, I don't really have a a a, a great control valve. You know, it, it, it when I blow a head gasket, it's it's hard to. Hi, how are you? Good. How you doing? We're ready for you. Are you? Oh, it's you. hard to um, once I blow a head gasket, it's hard to sort of um, contain myself. You know, contain, I can't really. I don't have that great self container. Right. You know. Um, and uh, um, so, you know, I I I, I see that, and uh, but you know, ultimately, to tell you the truth, I think that uh, you know, it, on on uh, early in his career, I think that he was really on to something remarkable. Yeah, you know. <clears throat> I think that, uh, from what I know of the guy, and I don't know him personally, sure, yeah. from what I know of him, from just from various, obviously I, you know, I play in a band with guys that, that, you know, knew him very well for a, a period of time. You know, certain people, um, that, uh, you know, be, become very successful allow outside people to manipulate them, you know, and, uh, and that becomes their downfall, you know. Um, if you don't, if you are not in control in a sense of your own destiny, and you don't allow yourself to think freely um, and make your own decisions, then uh, no matter how talented you are or smart you are, um, then uh, you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to change, and you're you're going to start thinking the way other people want you to think. <clears throat> and I think it seems to me that that's sort of what happened to him. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, we've never been introduced. But just as that's my, as far as from what I, from what I've sort of heard, that's my little take on the situation. But uh, as far as a uh, a fan of the old music and 
fan, definitely. Yeah. Fan of what he what he did. You had said that new metal had kind of like turned you off rock and roll almost like a few years back. Yeah. I think I don't think you're you were far from alone in that sentiment. That was a hard time to Yeah. Definitely. I think uh you know, rock and roll had lost its uh its sexuality and its swagger, you know, and uh um the the uh um there was no melody there were no chord changes um and uh there was no there was no singing there was no blues in the music um uh it wasn't rock and roll it was you know it was all rock no roll right you know um and uh you know, and I, I think there should be sexuality in rock and roll. Rock and roll is, you know, is sex and, and drugs and violence and everything that is wrapped up in between. But I think that, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I remember I saw we were touring one time with STP and um, there was uh, something on... Um, Someone had this video where there was something on uh, uh, one of the the stations um, that had some something about some new metal bands and their the connection with porn and uh, and there were some guys throwing um, uh, lunch meat at right. at some uh, you know these girls' ass uh, in a dressing room and it kind of. Uh, that sort of just summed it all up for me, and uh, and I already just was basically over it completely. Um, you know, especially coming from that time in the early '90s when there was such great music coming out, and it really was like a little mini revolution that happened. And I really believe it sort of revolutionized the way things were happening for a while there. You know, and. You know, people started thinking differently and acting differently. It revolutionized the the um, the music industry, and it, you know, for a while, you know, you could make uh, any kind of video you wanted and uh, any kind of record you wanted, and artists really had control. And it, unfortunately, it was very brief. You know, um, it wasn't cool to fucking throw lunch meat at women. No, it wasn't. It was really uncool at that point. Yeah, yeah, and you know, yeah. it's. It seemed like everything was kind of possible for for a while. How many more Bubba Revolver albums do you think they'll be? Um, you know, I never know. Um, it, it's that's hard to say, man. You know, right now, like uh, just focusing on like every show, just fucking offering. I fucking do every show, completely give myself up, a hundred percent. You know, I do not back down. Right. You know, if I, I mean, I have scars mm. all up, up and down my my arms. I've, you know, and my back from just falling down and blooding myself because mm. I just, I, I just, that's what I do. You know, I, you know, I'm gonna be forty this year. I still perform the same way I did when I was twenty three. Yeah. Right? When I, you know, went on, you know, our first tour with STP. Um, but, you know, I would definitely, there'll be another record, you know, because by the time you're done touring, 
you just want to get back in the studio and and uh, you feel like you have something new to say. You know, bottom line, you feel like you um, you feel like you've uh, reinterpreted all of the music uh, that you just recorded. Every way that you, uh, every way that you possibly can, um, and you feel like uh, you know, telling a new story. This is like the first record you made sober since forever, or since, I mean, since ever, or since like the first couple SDP albums. Or? Um, no, I've never. I mean, you know, I've never. I I drink a little bit, but I don't do any drugs. Yeah, you know. I've never made any record completely sober, mm. um, but uh, uh, but I don't do any drugs. I don't do any drugs at all. I wish I could smoke weed, but I fucking weed is just way too hardcore for me. Mm. I've never been a not since I was in high school. If I fucking enjoyed weed, mm. if I fucking smoke weed, man, I fucking climb into a ball. Huh. It makes me think way too much and. Thinking too much just gets me in trouble. Um, it seems to it has really different effects on different be, be, people. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get really paranoid. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but uh, shit. What was that last question? Anyway? Um. Oh, sorry. Uh, we. Oh, right. So the, you, you did this record drug free, and, and so was it? Yeah, yeah. So the last record I did drug free was Core. Wow. Yep. So how did it, how did it, was, did it make it harder in any way or was it? No, it, it, it made it, um, a lot easier. Um, my output level was, um, enormous. It was, uh, I just, idea after idea after idea. Um, the problem with heroin is, uh, that it's, uh, well, at first, you know, it really sort of, um, it, there's a lot of benefits, you know. It, uh, I think it, um, it, it allows you a certain amount of objectivity at first, um, like cerebral objectivity, because it kind of distances you somewhat emotionally. Mm. So you're not just so overly emotional to what it is you're writing about. So you can take some more chances, right? You know, on an intellectual level, like artistically, kind of say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna risk this. Right. And get a little bit more out there. Right. You know, um, but the problem is, though, is after a while, it becomes just overly cerebral. Right. Overly intellectual. Mm. And just, you can't, you, you lose the connection to the heart, you know, to the emotion. And, uh, and that's what I found. Mm. And, it takes longer and longer and longer uh, to just paint over, um, you know, the music and uh, the lyrics and the melodies to try to grasp a hold of some sort of emotional contact to what it is that you're you're, you're writing about, and mm. uh, and you can just stay out there and 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 space forever and and uh, and write a bunch of, you know, just. Nonlinear bullshit, you know. Yeah. Uh, but you can't really, really 
hunker down into what matters and what you're really feeling because you can't feel anything. It's like you have this narcotic wet blanket wrapped around your soul. What about coke? What, is it, what did that do? Uh, just makes you want more coke. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I had to do, I always had to do heroin, um, you know, with coke. Fucking do coke for like a few hours straight and then until you're going out of your mind and home. And the fucking demons are like trying to smash through the mirror. And then after that, it's time to run down the hallway and get into the fucking bag as soon as you can. Fucking put that fucking needle in the arm and get that shit in you quick to fucking... No more demons, yeah. You can fucking slow the fucking world back down and close up that fucking hold of the next dimension. Jesus. <laughs> once you open it, it's, uh, you don't know what can come in. Can you be the same after all that? I mean, after, I mean, it, it, all those experiences must stay with you and shape you, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah, I think they probably do, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I think they probably do. But, uh, you know, it's fun funny, because the, the further you are away from it, like, the less it even sort of crosses into your mind, you know? Yeah. Uh, it sort of doesn't, um, I don't really think of it all that often, um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that it uh, definitely changes. I can't imagine who I would be. I wonder what I would be. I wonder, like, what sort of a person I would be if I never lived through those experiences. I mean... You said that you've, uh, have you reconciled things with the DeLeo brothers at this point? Yeah. How did that happen? Where did that happen? Well, um... Actually happened, uh... The first time I ran into was when we were recording, um, Contraband. Hmm. Um... You know, that was, um... That was a little uncomfortable because uh, they were um, in the same studio. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we were at NRG and they were in the um, one of the rooms uh, next to us. Um, but um, and later, um, Dean. Um, You know, Dean and I used to, uh, you know, Dean and I used to be rock and roll hell on wheels together, you know. Um, we used to get loaded together a lot. and uh, <clears throat> But I was always, like, known as the guy that couldn't, you know, couldn't stop. Right. Um, I was that guy. Right. Um, I was the identified junkie, you know. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, after the band broke up, um, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't know what Dean says in his own interviews, and that's how I don't want to tell a story. But, um, you know, Dean came and, you know, Dean did, did his, own, his own stuff, took care of his own stuff, and uh, he called me up one day and he apologized. He made amends to me. And, and since then, you know, we've been um, a lot closer, and we kind of buried our personal hatchet and um uh and then uh you know robert and i um you know we've uh um 
done the same. You know, we've seen each other a few times, and um, I've seen Eric uh, a few times. Uh, um, we actually all went to Eric's wedding, um, and uh, you know, the whole band was together there. Um, Anyone try to get you on stage or anything at that thing? No, but um, I was tempted to go down to uh, to see. Um, their new band play when I was in New York. Uh, we were we were really busy. I actually really wanted to go down there, and it was um, you know. Uh, I remember one time when they were playing with Talk Show. I I went to uh, see them play at uh, the Palladium, and they wanted me to come on stage. Um, but I I felt sort of weird about that. You know, I felt like this was their thing, and and. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to step on the toes of their singer. You yeah. know, um, felt it would be kind of rude. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I would feel very uncomfortable. You know, it's it could be fucked up if Axl Rose came to watch our show and he came on and sang one of the a Guns N' Roses <laughs> yeah. song. You know, um, and uh, so I, yeah, you know, I'll watch. Yeah. You know. I guess they broke up that band. I sort of heard that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on um, musically with uh, with those guys now. But I'll tell you, they're amazing musicians. Yeah. They're fucking amazing musicians. I think Dean's one of the most underrated guitar players of you know the last uh, you know of the whole last uh, decade and a half. You know, I think he's amazing. Is it different to to write songs with Velvet Revolver compared to Stone Temple Pilots? I mean, what, what's the well, the chords they come are different, but I mean, yeah. chords they come. You know, I'll tell you, um, the thing, the one difference is, um, uh, STP loved being in the studio. You know, uh, there was this element of STP that was m much more like the Beatles. I mean, no band's like the Beatles. Sure. It, it's like it's just blasphemy for any band to really, I think, to mention themselves in the same breath as the Beatles. But where the band loved being in the studio and. And, uh, you know, kind of um, it just tripping out and exploring things and um, really taking risks and, um, uh, you know, from one record to the next and just, you know, uh, and I think left to our own devices, we would have went anywhere. You know, yeah. it was, Brendan would say, oh, like, harness us and like, yeah. you know, hold on, you know. <laughs> um, now, Velvet Revolver, uh, you know, really is kind of a um, nuts and bolts rock and roll band. Um, you know, kind of because of what who the players are. You know, it's like what you see is what you get. You know, um, we're not trying to fool you with right. trickery. You know, um, and uh, um, it's like blues-based rock and roll and. Uh, and we're just gonna kind of come out and like you know shove it down your throat, and, and that's that's really what it's about. Um, both bands are completely different. Um, these guys really like to jam, you know, and they love to get in the room and they love to play. SDP hated rehearsing. Mm. We would go before a world tour, a, you know three-month U.S. arena tour, we would show up 
two days before. Yeah. Go over our 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 set, you know, and you know, get on a plane and whoosh, go to our first gig. Buses would be waiting and we'd roll. Yeah. That's how we did things. Do you, you know? like the fact that these guys like jamming, or does it get a little... I, I don't like to rehearse that much. You right. know, if I if we're learning new songs from their new record, right. then it, you right. got to do it, you know? Right. One of my biggest influences of all time and my favorite singers and my favorite band are The Doors. There's not one harmony on right. on any Doors song anywhere, right. you know? Um, That's a good point. You know, it's one voice, and right. it just one point of view you know vocally it's like uh, um, and uh, you know it's it's just blues um, so you know I I like that uh, right. I like that a lot um, and that's a that's a fine art, you know. And it's also improvisational. Improvisation is is a fucking fine art. I yeah. mean, but it's a moment thing, you know. It's like you got to be in the moment <clears throat> to be able to pull that off. You know, you can't learn. You can't really learn blues, and you know. And um, it's like sometimes live will go off. On, that's what this band will do. That you know, yeah. go off on a little blues thing, and. Um, and just kind of vamp out on it, and sometimes you, you you know it's like if you really feel like you can pull it off, it just just wail into it, and but it takes some fucking cojones to be able to step out out there and and to and to do it because uh, there are sometimes when you kind of take that step out there, and and it starts to not happen. Yeah. You know, and it's risky. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's but that's what the whole jamming thing is about um, but when it pays off and when it's good it's good you mentioned like mini dramas with Slash and then you also said somewhere else that like you guys had to have a bunch of fights and figure and, and figure out what how to be a band I mean what what are the points of contention if you're having like, mini dramas like what's the well I mean the problem is is that everyone wants to be right you know um, and uh, and that you know everyone uh wants to be um there's a lot of big egos you know um you know everyone thinks that they have the um you know, the um the history and the lineage to um to be you know a shock hauler and uh and the problem is, is when everyone does that then yeah. we really get nowhere yeah you know um and things get really confusing and really fucking uh, just f fucking <laughs> bumbled and jumbled really fast and uh there's a lot of different interpretations and uh and um a whole lot of misinformation um uh, that happens and um, it was actually easier on the first record because uh, um, it kind of um, uh, um, but with the success of the first record um, I think that um, <clears throat> you know 
that everyone in the band start, uh, has thought, you know, has started to think that, you know, I want to make sure I get my voice heard, you know, and that. Uh, but the problem is, you, the thing that really works is when we have a band meeting and everyone just decides things together, you know, yeah. and everyone gets their voice heard in that. But uh, when when we're not communicating like that and uh, everyone tries to just make decisions, it uh, it doesn't so much work out mm. all that well. Um, you know, uh, so, um, there's usually sort of a, a um, uh, there's a way that things have worked, um, uh, and, um, and there's a way that things don't sort of work. Um, right. But, uh, But, um, how do you get past that? What's that? How do you how do, how do you get past all that? Well, you just uh, um, you uh, go with the fucking the bumps and the bruises until uh, you know until um, you learn the hard way and people learn the hard way. I mean, you're kind of like the, you know, not only were three of the guys in a previous band together, but the fourth knew the other guys longer. I mean, does that make you sort of the... Uh, no, uh, see, the thing is, is I kind of, I'm kind of the one that sort of uh, it's, it comes up with a lot of the, cr the creative ideas. And, uh, and that's kind of like who I've always been. You know, the, you know, ideas for um, video concepts and, um, you know, record cover ideas and, uh, and you know, um, marketing ideas and just that creative sort of uh, idea guy. Um, and, uh, um, and then I'm not that guy who's going to go over, pour over budgets. Right. I've never been that guy, right. you know. I'm like the guy that's the conceptual guy, right? You know, and when things sort of um, uh, rock that balance, then it kind of yeah, the whole boat kind of gets rocked. <laughs> um, well, it sounded like. But tell me, what was that? What's that medallion around your neck, or the the uh, the silver one? Uh, oh, which one? This? Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, this is Mary, the Virgin. Hmm. <clears throat> and uh, this is uh, Archangel Michael. Are you? Uh, are you? Do you go to church? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm Catholic. Yeah. And you said you you go and do confession. Or um, uh, as little as possible. <laughs> This has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. And in the meantime, you can download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, give us some great reviews as a podcast, especially on iTunes. And we will see you next week. I'm Brian Hyatt, and this has been Rolling Stone Music Now.